0: As we continue in our series on the book of Job, we come to the question this morning, what about suffering? So what about suffering? Where does it come from? Is God always the one putting these things upon us? Beloved, I believe God gets blamed for a lot of things in this world that he didn't do. Join us today as we see the nature of suffering and where it comes from, and we learn that while God does chasten his children, most of the sufferings of this life result from either Satan's attacks or from the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. In this
1: world we shall have tribulation, but-
0: This morning, I want to go back to the book of Job, and we want to begin in the second chapter and read a little bit. You may recall that in the first chapter, we learned that Satan had taken everything that Job had, all his stuff. He destroyed it, and he took his sons and his daughters. He had them. uh, They were killed. They were slain. And in the second chapter, we're going to read about another assault of Satan that comes upon him. So let's read there first, and then we'll come back. And we'll, uh, uh, we'll pick up on some thoughts here. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Job. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Now, just as a reminder, this is not heaven. This is not, Satan does not have access to heaven. There's nothing in heaven that can defile. There's nothing in heaven that is sin-cursed or sinful. This is not Satan coming before God with a bunch of angels. This is, a, this is these sons of God are men. These sons of God are, are, are men and women in a worship service that have come together to present themselves before the Lord. And here we see God is present in the worship service, but also Satan is present. We've kind of covered that already, but let me just remind you that that's the case every time we meet. There is, there is The Lord is here, we trust. He, Jesus said, where well, there's two or three gathered in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. But the devil has access here as well. And if he himself is not here, at least some of his minions are. They're always looking for ways to get us. And, in, and the Lord said unto Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Okay, now Satan here is active. That, that's another point we've already made. But I want to remind you, don't think your enemy is complacent. He is not lazy. The devil is more diligent than most of us, let me tell you. He's always he's going to and fro in the earth. He's walking up and down in it. We're told he's like a lion seeking, roaming about seeking whom he may desire. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect, And an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but but keep that in mind, what God says about Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Now, now I want to continue reading in just a minute, but I want to point out a couple of things here. You may remember that we said when we started this series on Job that there are at least three themes that we see here. Patience, pride, and pity. Patience, pride, and pity. James 5 and verse 11 says, uh, you've heard of the patience of Job. And patience doesn't mean, um, you know, standing in line at Disney World, okay? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Uh, standing in line at Disney World is is torture, not patience. No, it's it's, uh, it, it's not the same kind of thing. It's the keeping on, keeping on. It's enduring. We'll, we'll mention that in a minute, hopefully. It's endurance. It's perseverance, okay? It's It's, it's staying the course it's it's not sitting down and doing nothing it's continuing to move forward continuing to in the face of adversity continuing to do the things that God wants you to do patience pride is also a theme we're we're not going to get too much into that on the bad side but on the good side what I read here you know people want to accuse God of so many things that he's not doing they want to accuse him here in Job of being capricious of being arbitrary, of being mean, mean spirited, pointing out Job in an effort to get Job, uh, get Satan to attack him. You know what God's? You know why God's pointing out Job? He's proud of Job. He said, "If you considered him, look how look how good he is living." Now, now understand when it says he's perfect and upright, doesn't mean he's sinlessly perfect. We've already covered that. I don't want to go back and replow that ground this morning, but just remember, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's actually talking about a perfection that we can aspire to attain. We can be like Job. Did you know that? We can be, it, it, is, it is possible. We see it here. It's possible for the Lord to look down here in Zion community or Gordo community or wherever you're from and, and say, to Satan or to someone else. Have you considered my servant, so-and-so? He's, he's perfect and he's upright. Back in chapter 1, in verse 8, he said, there is none like him in the earth. Job, according to God's own testimony, was living more righteously than anybody else in the world. Did that make him sinlessly perfect? Absolutely not. Because you're going to continue reading in Job and you're going to find that Job asks a question. Can, can someone bring a clean thing out of it, an unclean thing? No way. <laughs> Job understood he was a sinner and he, and he failed miserably by the standard of Christ, by the standard of righteousness that he was supposed to measure up to. But yet, in comparison, and by the way, we're not to compare ourselves among ourselves. That's not wise, but God can do it god's able to do it he he looked down and in comparison to those around him job was doing better than anybody else he wasn't you know some perfect person but he was doing better than anybody god was proud of him but god would say you consider my servant Job. you hear nothing do you detect anything in these passages anything at all angry or mean or arbitrary about what god's saying to Job? no no, you know, James 5, 11, just keep this in mind as we study the book of Job. Don't ever forget James 5 and verse 11. He said, you've heard of the patience of Job and you have seen the end of the Lord. Now, what's the end of the Lord? Many people who read Job say, oh, yeah, God's so mean and he's so uh, uh, he's just doing things to Job that, that we can't understand. No, we can understand them because what he's doing is not what people think he's doing. <laughs> The end of the Lord is that he is pitiful and of tender mercies. If you read Job and get anything out of that about God, other than that he is pitiful, he is full of pity, and he is of tender mercies, you missed the point of Job, okay? Pride of God. Now, there's also a, we're going to get to this, Lord willing, there's also some pride in here that's not a good thing. There's the pride of Job and all of his companions shared in that pride. They were self-righteous you know Job in the first two chapters we read about Job's response and it's the right response but as you continue reading throughout the book of Job remember beginning in chapter 3 and all the way down to chapter 37 we're reading uh things that people are saying Job is speaking Eliphaz is speaking Bildad is speaking and one several chapters and Zophar is speaking and so is Elihu all the way down to chapter 37 and they get some things right but they get a lot of things wrong and the things they get right they misapply (laughs) God is just God does recompense but they they have this idea that that the way you can tell if God is favoring you is if he's blessing you materially and he's given you all these visible blessings. You know, that doesn't have anything to do. God does bless us. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. But they missed it. That The pride that is inherent in that day is inherent in, it's in, it's, it's in every one of them. Okay? Now, now, let me just step aside from the main thrust of the message for just a minute and say I kind of understand. I understand why. You know, you, you, you can't forget that in Job's day, they had nothing written down about God. They hadn't they didn't Job, according to historians, was written before any other book of the Bible was written, Job probably lived between the time of Abraham and the time, or between the time of Noah and the time of Abraham. that's probably when he lived and the book of Job was penned before the books of Moses were penned. Now job obviously occurs after the creation so it doesn't deal with the oldest things in the, in the world. Genesis deals with that, but Moses wrote those books later. So when job is, experiencing all this that he's experiencing, he doesn't have the book of 1 Peter. He doesn't have the book of James. He doesn't have the book of Romans. He doesn't have these other scriptures. He doesn't even have the books of Moses to look to. So they're, they're having these encounters with God and they're experiencing the problems of the world and they don't have a written guide. Aren't we so much more blessed? Aren't we blessed that in the midst, look at the troubles and trials we're experiencing today. It's overthrowing the faith of some. It's overthrowing the faith of some of God's children. It's it's confusing and confounding them. But, beloved, it shouldn't because we have the written word to explain to us what's going on. And you remember what I said when we started this series? If you misunderstand the book of Job, you're liable to misunderstand the very nature of God. And so it's important that we figure out what's going on here. So the devil has come back into the presence of the lord and he said yeah 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 sure sure lord i know he's still serving you but you didn't touch his body you didn't make him sick boy i get that (laughs) i get aggravated i get upset i get down and out when i lose stuff i'm glad sherry's gonna leave here in a minute to go get the food because i don't want her don't ask her how big a baby i am when i'm sick okay i've experienced a little sickness this week and my goodness, I told her when I was finally better, Brother Mackey, I don't know why you stay with me. I'd leave me in a heartbeat if it was me, but uh, big a baby as I can be. I'm a terrible patient. So what happens here? Satan says, you let me touch his body. You let me afflict him personally, and it'll, it'll, it'll change things. Isn't that just like Satan? His very name means, the, 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 the name devil, the word devil in the New Testament means slanderer. You know what he's doing to you, child of God? He's slandering you before God. Every day he's slandering you. And when you slander your brother or sister, you're acting like the devil. That's why backbiting and gossip are wrong and sinful because it's so destructive. The devil is trying to destroy Job and he's accusing God of bribing him. He said, you let me get hit. Now, again, (laughs) remember what he said to him. He said, you touch him, Lord, verse five, you touch him and he'll curse you to his face. And just like he did in the first chapter, God didn't take the bait. Notice what's happening here. He is, you know, we got to understand the role of God and the role of Satan. Remember in the first chapter, he said, Lord, you touch all he's got. The Lord didn't take the bait. That's what people think happened. People think God touched Job's life and his stuff and And destroyed it. But notice what happened. The Lord said unto Satan. Behold he is in thine hand. But save his life. In other words. Uh uh devil. You're not going to make me act. In in opposition to my own nature. I'm not the afflictor of the brethren. I'm not the one who slanders and accuses and destroys. I'm not the roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. You are that character. I'm going to. Stick to my nature and my role. I am the keeper of the hedge. Now, sometimes God lowers the hedge, sometimes He raises the hedge. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But God never is the afflictor in the way that Satan is here. So, verse 7: Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. From the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a pot shard to scrape himself withal, and sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God, and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Flip back to chapter 1 and verse 21. Notice what Job said initially when the first afflictions came. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly In other words, what Job said was absolutely correct. And you notice he didn't charge God with any of it. You say, well, didn't he say the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away? The Lord gave me this stuff. He took this stuff away. That's not what he's talking about. What did the Lord give Job? The Lord gave him the hedge. And the Lord took away the hedge. He didn't didn't afflict him. He didn't proactively, if you will, reach down and do this. In in this chapter 2 verse here, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And this is the way most people read it. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil at the hand of God? But you notice that's not what it says. It says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Period. Notice he's not charging that the evil came from God. So let's talk about that. Where, what about suffering? What about, we're all engaged in some measure of suffering in our lives. Maybe it's you personally. Maybe it's your loved one. Maybe it's your family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it has to do not with health but with your wealth. Maybe it has to do with your job. Maybe it has to do with your relationships. Maybe it has to do with your marriage or your friendships or your, your, peer, your peer group or something there in the world. Where, what about suffering? Let's talk about that for the time we have. Where does suffering come from? Where does suffering come from? Well, I want to to take us through some general, general principles from the Bible, and then hopefully we'll have time to bring it back home to the book of Job here in a few minutes. Suffering, where does it come from? Well, suffering often results from the sin that is around us. And ultimately, you can point the finger as to suffering to the Garden of Eden. To the place where Adam first ate of the of the fruit. We're not going to read about that account, but what we're going to do is we're going to read about the results of what happened. Notice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. You remember now God made everything good, and then when he made man, he called it very good. But after the fall of man, suffering entered. Verse 16. Under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Notice that a result of the sin curse that is now now upon the world is that childbearing will be painful, and there's a need for a hierarchy in marriage. There's a need now. You know, there wasn't any need for anybody to be under the authority of anyone else. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and under the direct authority of God, you didn't need a government, you didn't need a home, you didn't need any, the home was created, but you didn't need God to sit down and spell out the problems because there weren't any problems. <laughs> My goodness, they were naked and they didn't even know it. They didn't even understand the problems that could arise from that, that eventually did arise from nakedness, and eventually the problems that would occur. How, I'm not. Please, don't anybody raise your hand to this question. Because I don't want to call you a liar here. How many of you got a perfect marriage? <laughs> How many of you that are married have a perfect marriage? Don't be raising your hand. I know you're lying if you tell me that. <laughs> Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage. They had a perfect situation. There didn't. There was no conflict. There was no need for any type of authority to resolve any conflict. And then, then you notice Adam and Eve. And it's primarily Adam, by the way. We always like to blame Eve. But remember, Eve was deceived. Adam was not. He knew exactly what he was doing, Brother Mackey. And after that, there had to be authority set up for resolution of conflicts in this life. And then unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Notice what happened. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat thy bread. Till thou return to the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. The ground is cursed. Hard work has become a fact of life. And ultimately death is universal because of the curse of the sin of Adam, because of the fall. One of the best summaries, I guess you could call it, of, of, the, of the, the fall and, and the results of it are found in Romans, the eighth chapter. Over in Romans chapter 8, notice what it says in verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You don't think this whole creation is groaning? Turn on the weather report. Look at the hurricanes that have, are hitting the Gulf. Listen to the earthquakes. Listen to hear about the earthquakes that are occurring worldwide. Uh, You know, all the problems that's happening in this world is the creation groaning and travailing in pain together until now. And not only they, not only the world around us, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we as children of God, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. I'll come back to that last part, but what I want you to see here is that we're groaning. We're groaning because of the curse of sin that is around us suffering often is a result of the sin that's around us but listen suffering sometimes is a result of the sin that is within us i'm sorry to say too often in my case keep your finger in romans but you might turn over to isaiah the first chapter and listen to what god says about how our actions can affect how our the way we live can affect whether we suffer or not. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. That sounds good, doesn't it? If you do right, the Lord will bless you. But notice this, But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That don't sound real good to me. I've been watching some shows lately that have to do with knights fighting with swords and all that. I believe I'd rather be shot than stabbed with a sword, you know. I just can't even, th- I, I see some of the, uh, it, just, it just gives me, you know, the heebie-jeebies to think about being stabbed with a sword. Uh, and, um, but notice here, if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with a sword. Now notice, I don't want us, I don't want us to get the wrong impression it's not a one-for-one one thing. Please remember that. There's mercy. There's grace. Sometimes when we do wrong and we ought to be devoured with a sword, the Lord gives us mercy and doesn't allow us to be. And sometimes, as we see here, and we're getting to that, in the book of Job, it's not something we've done that, that causes suffering to come upon us. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message.